going to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23 will be there in a moment. A few years ago, Audi ran an ad during the Super Bowl, and it started out innocently enough. It started out with a husband and a wife. Um, they were in a pet store. They were there to buy a dog, but they couldn't decide which dog to buy. Um, he wanted a Chihuahua. She wanted a Doberman. The horror begins with a simple suggestion from the salesman to breed the two together. The compromise produced the grotesque and aggressive Dober Wawa. <laughs> which hilariously overruns the world with its tiny terror. Take a look here real quick. I think I like this little guy. I love this one. You know, you could always compromise and breed them together. Dobra Wawa. Know what I mean? I've never seen a breed like this. Nor have I. I don't know what to make of it, frankly. It's unsettling. It's disturbing to look at it directly. How did this dog get past regions? That's what I want to know. I'm Sarah McLaughlin. Will you help these misunderstood animals? I don't like the fact that it's looking this way. I gets it. Save yourselves! Compromise scares us, too. Here's the reason I show that to you this morning. It's because the fear of compromise is what is weighing heavy on the heart of Joshua as we come to the close of the book that bears his name. This will most likely be the final message in this series through the, through the book of Joshua. And he's well aware of the negative effects of compromise. And so he addresses it almost exclusively in chapters 23 and 24. And so if you're in chapter 23, I want you to, to look at verse 6 where Joshua expresses his concern about the real possibility of this thing called compromise. Look at it, verse 6, Joshua chapter 23. Be therefore very courageous and keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. Interestingly enough, those are the exact words that God shared with Joshua upon his 
stepping into the leadership role of the nation of Israel after the death of Moses. His words to Joshua were, be courageous. Keep the word. Don't turn to the left or to the right. And then look at verse 7. That ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. In short, do not compromise. But Joshua did not leave it at do not compromise. Look at verse 8. But cleave unto the Lord your God, as ye have done unto this day. Verse 11. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves, that ye love the Lord your God. What Joshua shows them here is that the way to combat compromise is through commitment. Cleave to the Lord. Love the Lord. Be committed to the Lord. Committed. Commitment. Sadly, that is a spiritual virtue that has fallen by the wayside in much of today's Christianity. And I'll stand here and lay the blame for that, most of the blame for that, at the feet of the men who occupy the pulpits of this nation. In their fascination with growth and numbers and money and media sound bites, men of God have lost sight of the significance of certain fundamental virtues like commitment. I mean, really, if you want to build a big church, if you want to keep the money flowing, then do not preach on commitment. Because commitment is old school. Commitment is archaic. It's just too impractical and out of touch with the progressive mindset of 21st century life. Life today, we're told, is is really all about choices and the opportunity to set my own course at my own pace in a way that makes me feel good and satisfies my most basic needs. Life is all about the unfettered freedom to turn on a dime and go the opposite direction today that I was going in yesterday. Keep your options open, they say. Don't lock yourself into anything or anyone. Now, Commitment is not all bad, they would say. I mean, it's okay as long as it's convenient. Commitment is okay as long as it's comfortable. I mean, if I can't go to the lake and if I 
don't stay out too late on Saturday night, and if I feel rested, and my favorite football team isn't playing the early game on Sunday, and if it's not too wet or too cold to play golf, and, and if I have the laundry done, well, then I, I might just go to church. And you know what's sad? Listen, you know what's sad? That's not the attitude of non-Christians. It's not non-Christians who are saying that. It's people who are supposed to be Christ followers. Come on now, it's people who are supposed to say, Jesus, God is my Savior, Jesus is my Lord. But yet, that's the attitude that they espouse. And I don't profess to know why any particular individual struggles with commitment to the Lord. I don't know if it's because they've never seen it done right or if they just think it's not that big a deal. I honestly don't know. I've never had the opportunity to sit down and, and, and have a candid conversation with anyone about it. Let's make no mistake about this this morning. These closing chapters of Joshua, especially chapter 24, are all about commitment. It's about commitment. Joshua uses the first 13 verses of chapter 24 to rehearse God's blessings and and I think it's very important that we take some time to look at this because really it sets the context for the challenge that Joshua is going to offer or, or present here in just a few minutes. But the, the challenge that he is about to bring forth is all based upon, it's all predicated upon the first 13 verses of Joshua chapter 24. So he's going to rehearse God's blessings. And then he's going to exhort Israel to commit to serving him. So let's begin in verse 2 real quick. Joshua 23, verse 2. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible today. And Joshua called for all Israel, and for their elders, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers, and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he should expel them from before you and drive them from out of your sight. And ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised unto you. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. That ye turn not aside therefore to the right hand or to the left. That ye come not among them. We read that a moment ago. But cleave to the Lord. Verse 8. Verse 9. For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong but as for you no man has been able to stand before you unto this day one man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God he it is that fighteth for you as he hath promised you and you're told to love the Lord in verse 11 verse 12 else if ye do any wise go back 
and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, we're talking about compromise, and go in unto them, and they to you know for certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until ye perish from off the good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Here, here's the, here's the, the message today, and you know what I just did? I just read the wrong verses in the wrong chapter. How frustrating is that? It's very frustrating. <laughs> Only a son on staff could laugh at his dad and get by with it. It is funny. It's frustrating. So buckle up. We're going back. And I'm going to read really fast. Verse 2. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led them throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward I brought you out, and I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And ye came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen under the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And you dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you, verse 8, into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan. And they fought with you. And I gave them into your hand that ye might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand, and ye were uh, and you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I served or excuse me, delivered them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with, with sword nor with thy bow. And I, listen to this, I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye have built not, and ye dwell in them, and of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not do ye eat. God, listen, God had been good to Israel. And Joshua mentioned some of the monumental moments in Israel's history that highlight God's goodness. He talked about God calling Abraham to be a nation, and he reminds them of, of their escape from Egypt and the Red Sea and, and, and what God did there and how they, they certainly could have died at the hands of Pharaoh had it not been for God's goodness. And he, he reminds them of the, the, the grueling slavery they had in Egypt, and he talks about their wandering in the wilderness and how 
protected uh, they were from the false prophecy of Balaam. And finally, he brings them to, to present history and, and their crossing of the Jordan uh, and, and their defeat of Jericho and their conquest of the promised land of Canaan. And the point of this brief trek through history was to remind Israel that their presence before the Lord on this day was a testimony to him not them. I tried to emphasize all 17 times that God said, I did this. I did that. And then note where Joshua met with the people. This is, this is important. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. It was at Shechem that Abraham received the promise that God would, would give him a land. Shechem is where Jacob's family uh, uh, got rid of all of their idols before coming back to, uh, to Bethel. It, it was Shechem in chapter 8. We've already studied it in Joshua chapter 8 where Joshua uh, uh, put six tribes of, of Israel on Mount Ebal. He put six tribes of, of Israel uh, on, on uh, uh, Mount Gerizim, and then he was in the valley, and there in the valley he read to them the blessings and the cursings, and he made it very clear, if you choose the way of blessing, God will bless you. If you choose the way of cursing, then God will curse you. Here's the point, Shechem, Shechem was a place where Israel as a people had made some very significant spiritual decisions, and now they were needing to make some more. For many of us here today, this place is our Shechem. This place, this house of worship, this church family, Fellowship Baptist Church, is where many spiritual decisions have been made. I was saved here in 1976. I was baptized here. I surrendered my life to the Lord here. I was called to ministry here. I was married here. My wife and my children were all saved here, and they were all baptized here. And, and others of you have made some, some uh, the same kinds of significant spiritual decisions right here at Fellowship Baptist Church. You too were saved here, and you were baptized here and you found your spouse here and you were married here and your children have been saved here and they've been baptized here and they have found their spouse here and they have been married here for some it was here that you got your life back on track after being away from the Lord for others God put your marriage back together right here God restored your wayward children here. This is a place where you have experienced some of your most significant spiritual growth. Others of you have, have been saved and, and baptized elsewhere, and you've made other significant spiritual decisions elsewhere. Uh, but it's not the, the point is not where you made them. The point is that you made them. And it's all because, like he was to Israel, God has been good to you. Come on now. God has been good to you. And God has been gracious to you. And I ask you this morning, how long has it been since you've thought of your life in those terms? How long has it been? 
since you've stopped to consider everything that God has done for you. Seriously. But you've given serious thought. God, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have this. God, if it weren't for you, my life would not be what it is. My marriage would not be what it is. Our home would not be what it is. Our family would not be what it is. My career would not be what it is. My health would not be what it is. My success would not be what it is. God, I would have none of this if it wasn't for you. And then how do we respond to that reality? Because come on, church, that is reality. None of this is about us. It's all about God and what He's done for us and what He's done in us and what He's done through us. God has been good to us and God has been gracious. So, so how do we respond to that? Well, look at verse 14. Now, therefore, okay, time out. Here's a, little, uh, here's a little Bible hint to help you in your Bible study. When you see a therefore, you need to stop and find out what it's there for. Pretty simple, okay? The word therefore marks a transition from what is said to the results or consequences of what has been said. You with me? Now therefore, Joshua said, based on everything God's done for you, taking you out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and across Jordan and, and, and defeating Jericho for you and giving you all of this land. Therefore, based upon everything God has done for you, fear Him and serve Him in sincerity. In other words, don't be fake about it. Be real about it. Not just something you do on Sunday, but it's, it's, it's your life. And in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served. So evidently, Joshua is aware that there's already been some compromise. And he's telling them, put them away and serve ye the Lord. And then we come to the immortal words of verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that are on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, you choose. If you're not good with serving the God of heaven, then, then you choose a God to serve but he said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the context of verse 15. God has been good to me. God has blessed me. 
God has saved me and he's set my feet on a solid rock and he's established my goings and he's blessed me more than I could ever imagine. And based on that, I will serve the Lord. Make a few observations real quick about his commitment. First of all, you must choose. Did you hear me? You must choose. Straddling the fence and wavering between options is not something you can do indefinitely. There is no such thing as a neutral position when it comes to your relationship with God. Not to choose for Him is to choose against Him. This isn't like the political world where if you don't like the Republicans and you don't like the Democrats, then you can be an independent. There's no such thing as as an independent Christian. There's, There's no spiritual independent. Listen, indecision is a decision. It's all or nothing. Make no mistake about it. These words of Joshua were a call to undivided loyalty and complete commitment. So first, you must choose. But secondly, you must choose for yourself. I can't choose for you. Sir, your spouse cannot choose for you. Ma'am, Your husband cannot choose for you. Young people, listen to me. There's going to come a time when you're going to have to make your own choice. I get it right now. Mom and dad make that choice for you. But there's coming a time when you're going to have to decide for yourself, who will I serve? I can't choose for you. Here's a third truth. Fathers have an obligation as the leader of the home. Dad, you are not responsible for, nor do you have the power, listen to me, to determine whether or not your children believe and pursue God and trust Him. But you do have the obligation to lead them and teach them and explain to them the gospel. It's not your business to save them, but it is your business to put them in an environment at home and in the church where God can save them. And by the same token, at the end of the day, you can't choose whether or not they're going to live a committed life for God and His glory. I get that. That decision is theirs to make. But you can give them every reason to choose the Lord by committing yourself wholeheartedly and unreservedly to Him. Dad, give them an example to follow. Joshua said, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to lead my family to serve the Lord. And unfortunately, there are homes among us today Some of the sweetest ladies on the face of the earth are sitting among us today. And there is no father in their home. Ladies, listen. This responsibility is now yours. And listen to me. 
should there come a time when there is an opportunity for dad in the home. Make sure that he's going to be somebody who's going to lead your children by example to serve God. Don't just settle with somebody who makes a, 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 a cold bed warm. You make sure he's somebody who loves God. And who understands the concept of Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here's the fourth observation. You must be determined. Look at it. Joshua said, you may, you may choose to serve this God or this God or this God. But I'm going to tell you what, we're not. We're serving the God. It didn't matter what other families in Israel did. Listen to me this morning. Joshua was leading his family to serve God. Even if it meant his was the only family in the nation to do it. I'm going to say this and I'm going to move on. I've watched family after family. I've been here nearly 40 years. I've watched family after family in this church put any number of things ahead of God on Sunday for the sake of their children. And I would dare say that far, far, far more times than not, it's not worked out well for them in the end. That's because their children have chosen what mom and dad chose on the Lord's Day. And I know some of you are convinced. Well, preacher, we're, we're yeah, I, 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 yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that, but we're being really careful about that. And Preacher, I really, I really think we're going to be that one out of ten families who makes it. And you might. You might. But is it worth the risk? You know, our son's different. Our daughter's different. No, it. I get it, but I'm just asking you, is it really worth the risk? Notice the people's response to Joshua in verse 16. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Yes. Yes. I mean, they're, they're rehearsing everything Joshua just said. Joshua, you, no, 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 Joshua, listen, we understand God's been good to us. And we're going to serve him. You think Joshua would be stoked with that kind of response? Look at it in verse 19. You can't serve the Lord. For he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. 
if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he'll turn and do you hurt and consume you after that ye had done good. Like, whoa, whoa, Joshua, dude, chill out. Did you not just hear what these people said? They said, we know God's been good to us, and we will serve the Lord. It's like, Joshua, what's up with that kind of response? I mean, you're, you're coming at these people really, really hot here. Listen, this was Joshua's way of warning them that a glib, overly casual response without first counting the cost of such a commitment was not wise. You see, Joshua was aware of Israel's history. He knew full well that there had been any number of times when the Israelites, I mean, they vowed to wholeheartedly and, and true-heartedly uh, follow the Lord and, and, and disclaim wholesale idolatry. But Joshua was not calling them, listen to him, he wasn't calling them here to some casual tip of the hat acknowledgement of his words. Yeah, Joshua, we got you, bud. We're with you, bro. We know, yeah, God's been good, and we're all, we're all over this. Now listen, listen, this was serious business. Serious business. And not to follow through with their commitment would result in serious consequences as God moved against them. So, well, Bridget, why would, why would God do those things? Why would God move against them in the, the fashion that, that Moses taught, or excuse me, Joshua talked about in verse 20? And I'll tell you why. Because God's jealous. God's jealous. Now, because we may have been the recipient of human jealousy that is destructive and sinful and ugly, we naturally recoil from a suggestion that God could even have an ounce of jealousy in him. But we have to understand this morning there's a difference between sinful jealousy and jealousy that is not sinful. And I put it up there for you this morning. Sinful jealousy is the result of someone wanting something that does not belong to them. Maybe a possession or a skill or an attribute or a person. God's jealousy, on the other hand, is the result of not receiving something that does belong to him, like honor and glory and praise and worship and commitment. When we give those things which rightfully belong to God to anything or anyone else, he gets jealous. And righteously so. Knowing these things to be true of God, the people persist. Look at it, verse 21. They persist in, 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 in their response. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua's like, okay. 
All right. Verse 23, then put away. Put away the strange God. Put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. If that's your decision, if that's your commitment, that's fine. I'm on board with it. But you listen to me today. He said, put away the strange gods which are among you and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. Now listen, Joshua, stay with me here. Joshua's response is very, very telling. Here's what it says. The root cause of a lack of commitment is idolatry. The root cause of a lack of commitment is idolatry. Now listen, this is where you hear the ding and the little seatbelt sign come on because the captain has turned the seatbelt on, seatbelt, fasten, fasten your seatbelt sign on because we're fixing to hit a little turbulence. So just fasten up because we're fixing to hit a little turbulence this morning. See, we're pretty, it's been pretty rocky so far. Now nah, it's been smooth sailing. Because we're fixing to drive home a truth that is very convicting, or at least should be. The underlying explanation for why we are reluctant or ultimately refuse to commit ourselves wholly to God is because we're idolaters. We're idolaters. Ah, whoa, 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 preach, you need to back up a little bit there. I've been here when missionaries have come, and I've seen their videos, and I've, I've watched people bow before uh, statues and, and replicas of things that are made of wood and made of stone, and, and I've, I've seen people uh, bowing and burning incense and beating their bodies and doing all of these other things, and preacher, listen to me, I've never done that, ever. So how can you call me an idolater? And honestly, there's a lot that I could say in response to that, but I just want to give you one example. Stay with me now. Don't bail on me. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul wrote this, mortify. That means put to death, destroy, put down. And then he mentions a number of things that need to, that we need to, to kill, if you will, in our life. Things like fornication and uncleanness and inordinate affection and evil concupiscence, which is lust or longing for that which is forbidden. But then look what he says. And covetousness, which is what, church? What is it? Hmm. Now, stay with me. If covetousness is idolatry, then idolatry doesn't need to entail a statue of Buddha or genuflecting at a pagan temple. Is, listen, idolatry is any tendency in the human heart to dethrone God for the sake of something else, whether it be money, sex, ambition, power, 
pride or something as seemingly uh, innocuous as respectability. Listen, to the extent that we give our affections to anything or anyone other than God, based on the assumption that it or they can do for our souls what He can't, then we are guilty of idolatry. One pastor defined covetousness like this, desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God. Covetousness is idolatry because the contentment that the heart should be getting from God starts getting from something else. Covetousness, simply put, is a heart divided between two gods, which is exactly what Joshua's concern was. His concern was was the people of Israel making, and by the way, his concern was well-founded, if you continue to read on in your Bible. His concern was that the people of Israel were going to... Try to worship the God of heaven and some other false God over here. When we begin to lose our contentment in Christ, that is to say, when we say that Christ isn't altogether adequate, we start to long for other things. An experience an event, a possession. Well, God, God's just not doing it for me. And so we start to satisfy our souls by pursuing other things. When we deify anything or anyone other than God, you with me? When we deify Anything or anyone other than God, we are, in effect, bowing the knee to another master. Our hearts are captive to a different Lord. We have, quite simply, violated the first commandment not to have any other gods before the God of heaven. I'm going to put this statement up here because I want you to get it. The reason so many today will not commit to a local church to serve and give and sacrifice for others for the glory of God is because they worship their own personal comfort, and convenience. They have elevated above God their own individual freedom and the pleasure of using their time and money and energy to satisfy, live for, and serve themselves. That is idolatry. 
let's rethink whether or not we're idolaters. Joshua said it as clear as he could. Paul said it as clear as he could. And I'm standing here today, and I'll say it as clear as I can. The alternative to commitment is idolatry. So let me close with the words of Joshua. Let me put a contemporary twist. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods of materialism and self-indulgence or the gods of self-preservation and convenience. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You cannot effectively move forward in your spiritual walk as long as you're putting your comfort and your convenience before the Lord and your service to Him. We spent 20 messages encouraging you to go forward and telling you how to go forward and what practical steps to take to go forward. And this is the final, this is the final challenge. Choose to serve God. And do not put your personal convenience and comfort above serving God. So here's the invitation today. What do you need to change in order for you and your house to go all in? I mean all in. No more straddling the fence, no more on and off, no more hot and cold. I'm talking all in for God. Full speed ahead, forward, you and your family. Dad, maybe you need to gather up the family today and just come pray. Maybe you're in a good place right now, and I applaud that, and no doubt there are many. You're in a good place today. You're serving God. You're, you're moving forward. You just need to come and thank God today. Lord, thank you for being so good to me. But maybe there are some things out of, out of kilter in your life. I'm going to ask you today to come. Bring those things before the Lord. Number one, ask God to forgive you. Number two, ask God to give you the grace to make the changes that need to be made and to stay with it. Let's pray.